You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Genesis chapter 22, and what a good song that is. In fact, this is a story of God testing, God trying the faith of one of His choice children. We're going to see that tonight, and I pray God will speak to our hearts. You've probably seen it as much as I've seen it, and we're all aware of it, and I think we're aware of it all throughout the year. But you understand, and I do too, that there's a heightened reminder of how wicked our society is this month out of the year. It's very evident, and it's very obvious, and it's very blatant. We talked about it a little bit last night at men's prayer, just the different things that I saw just yesterday, just walking from the office to men's prayer as I looked at the news and different things, uh, baseball teams and stadiums decked out for this, uh, Yosemite National Park, a special event for this, where men would put on female park ranger outfits and walk young people through the park. And it's just really blatant, and Target and uh, different, even Bud Light, alcohol beverage company taking backlash for promoting this, but it's everywhere uh, in our culture and in our society. I want you to hear what I'm about to say because I really believe it's true. Our nation is going to look, I didn't say it's might, it might, it is going to look drastically different in five years. And if not five years, then I'll give it a little bit of time, definitely in 10 years. And here's why I say that. I say that because the majority of voters in America are going to be that age bracket that are now 18 to 45 years old. And they're going to be the bulk of those who decide our elections. And that is going to change the face. If you think it has been bad, wait until the generation that has grown up believing that everything we've preached against is okay and normal and right goes to the voting booth. We've already lost holidays. Christmas is not Christian. And Easter is not Christian in America anymore. We've already lost our schools. That's not going to come back. What, what Pastor mentioned this morning, how he grew up with that, and we grew up with that to an extent where I'm from, and the Pledge of Allegiance, that is not going to come back in our public school system. That is not happening. And if you notice the attack of evil, it is not really aimed at the elderly. And it is not primarily aimed at what we would say middle-aged. It is aimed at our children. And it is aimed at the next generation to come. For a little while this evening, I want to preach and speak on behalf of the next generation. I want you to see this story in Genesis chapter 22. I read a quote, and it's a striking quote. Adolf Hitler made the statement. He said, he who gains the youth controls the future. And I think that's what's going on today as we see parental rights taken away and church authority questioned and government sovereignty put in place over our young people. I want you to see what it says in Genesis 22. The Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham... And that word tempt is the word try or test. He's proving Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, 
Now, let me stop and say this. You have never been tested until you've been tested in the area of what you love. He said, I want you to take this boy, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. That's an important word, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide. That's a good statement to underline right there. Just those three words, God will provide. That's good for us every day. But it's also a prophetic statement that God fulfilled when you read the rest. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, and here's the word again, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. It's amazing. There's been lambs mentioned three times up to this point. A lamb in Genesis to uh, cover Adam's sin. A lamb in Exodus, the blood applied, or rather we'll see the blood applied in here, this lamb that's a substitute. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of it, of course. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place, look at this, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, and I want you to see the phrase, it shall be seen. Now we read this and think that this was for Abraham, and it was. But Abraham wasn't on the mountain alone. I don't think God did this just to test or prove Abraham's faith. Abraham had heard God. He had seen God. He had walked with God. He had experienced God. He knew God. He was a friend of God. But Abraham had a son named Isaac. And there is nothing recorded in the Scripture from the birth of Isaac to this account where Isaac heard from God, knew God, saw God, walked with God. I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm just saying it's not in the Bible. I think God did this not just for Abraham. I think he did this for Isaac too. I think God wanted Isaac to see Abraham be faithful to God. I think God wanted Isaac to watch his father obey God. I think he wanted to see Abraham trust God, and then God wanted the opportunity to show Isaac he always comes through. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought so that the next generation might see God so that the next generation might see God. Let's pray. God, please help me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 78, verse 5 through 7 says this, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, 
which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I did a lot of research when I prepared this message, so I'm going to give you some numbers, but I want you to hear it. A Barna poll said only 4% of Americans today hold a biblical worldview. Only 4%. That means 96% of the people that you and I live with in our country do not use the Bible as the basis for how they see the world. But even more striking than that, only 1% of people age 18 to 29 have a biblical worldview. And at the same time, 20% of that age bracket would identify as gay, lesbian, transgender, or something of that nature. That Barna poll said this, that age bracket is aggressively rejecting biblical principle. I want to come to tonight by way of this message on behalf of the generation that is to come. I want to come to you on behalf of the young people that sit in our Sunday school classes I want to come to you tonight on behalf of the babies that are in the nursery right now. I want to come to you on behalf of the students that are sitting in the classrooms of our Christian school and the young servants that we train in our Bible college. I want to come to you tonight on behalf of the bus kids who cannot preach for themselves and the public school kids, the youth conference delegates that will fill this place in a week. How about the children that live on your street and in our city? and the babies that are yet to be born. The Christian population was 90% in 1970 in America. They say by the year 2040, it'll be 40% and dropping rapidly. The responsibility of you and I to make God known and the task to lead the next generation to set their hope in God falls heavily tonight upon our shoulders. I don't know if you realize this or not, and I'm going to talk to you who are closer to my age, but we are getting older we are not children anymore. I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes in my mind, I still think of myself as I should be sitting with that group right there. But it's very obvious and it's very evident that we're getting older. For example, I know what an ice tray is. Do you know that? I know what a newspaper is. I've even dialed with like this on a phone before and watched the wheel come back around. Uh, some people say I have gray hair, but they have bad eyesight. But uh, it's a, it's a lie is what it is. But somehow I wonder, you and I who are closer to my age, if we still think we are the next generation. We are not the next generation. We are this generation. And the responsibility is not coming to us to lead a younger generation into the things of God. The responsibility is already heavily upon us to rise up and lead the next generation to set their hope in God. In an ever-increasing, Christ-rejecting culture, and in a society that is greatly unchurched, the weight of our duty is more pressing than it's ever been before. It was nothing for our grandparents and our parents to go to church every single week. But now it is nothing for our generation to never darken the door of a church in their entire life. As you go out soul winning, you'll notice it. It is frequently more and more the case when I talk to somebody, it is not that they have casually attended church. It is that they have never heard the gospel and they have never attended a service at a church. 
The statistics tell the story. Even a growing number of people, parents who claim to be Christian, openly admit to never taking their family to church. That means there's an entire generation in our country that is being reared without the necessity and importance of God being planted in their hearts. They might say they know God. They might even use the title Christian, but they know nothing of what it is to be faithful to serving God or walking with Him every single day. Consider it with me. They don't know what it is to attend Sunday school. They don't know what it is to sing along with the congregation. They don't know what it is to give in an offering plate. They don't know what it is to hear a preacher preach. The idea of church is an alien idea to the majority of children in our country and even to their parents who would claim to be a Christian. They've never attended vacation Bible school. They've never gone to a youth camp. They've never sat in a youth conference. They don't attend a patch class. They don't go to a Bible club. They don't have a chapel in their school. They never attend a youth hour. And there is a generation behind us that desperately needs introduced to the gospel and introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. The world and the culture around us that we are ministering to today is not the world and the culture that our parents and grandparents ministered to. I want to address my generation on behalf of that generation. I want to talk to the moms and dads tonight if I can. I want to talk to the Sunday school teachers. I want to talk to the leaders, the grandparents we have youth conference coming up, and I said this last night. Sometimes I fear, we think, well, youth conference is for God to get a hold of those young people so they can turn this world around, and we want the young people to carry the water for us. Their spiritual responsibility should not fall upon that generation. Not yet. The spiritual responsibility falls on our generation. Tonight, you and I are blessed to know God. We are blessed to be born again. We are blessed to enjoy fellowship in a church like ours. We are blessed tonight, but we are blessed because a generation before us led us to the place where we could see God for ourselves. They labored for us so we could see God. They loved on us so we could see God. They invested in us so we could see God. They fought for us so we could see God. They corrected us so that we could see God. They trained us us so that we could see God. They sacrificed to build and gave and provided these things for us. They walked with God so that we would see God. They taught us to pray so we could see God. They opened to us the scripture so we could see God. They gave us what we needed so our hope would not be set somewhere else, but we could anchor our hope in God. We're not here tonight by accident. We are not here by good luck. We are here by the grace of God and the guidance of a faithful generation that led before us. I read a statement that said it only takes one generation to change a culture. Population researchers report this, that babies born between 1981 and the early 2000s, 2015 earlier, will probably be the largest generation ever born in America. The babies that are born in that age bracket have the very negative connotation. We know what they are. They are millennials and Gen Z. That is 45 years old or so down to the late teens, early 20s. Those are the young married couples and the middle-aged parents of America. 
They are the leaders of the homes in our country. They're the leaders of most of the businesses. They are becoming the leaders in politics. But concerningly, they are not the leaders in America's churches. The strength for the future of our church lies in that generation. That generation, largely, needs to learn how to teach and train and sing and give, amen, and serve and do right. Now, let me give you a little bit of description. In describing millennials, they say they differ from the older generation in several ways. They're more tech-savvy. They're more community-minded. They're more socially engaged. They see themselves as citizens of the world and are more likely to start and run their own business. They don't want to work for anybody else. They're not as comfortable with a rigid schedule. They're more flexible. They have some church background, but they're more casual with their affiliation. They are far more secularized in their spirituality than were their parents. That would be the older age bracket. But here's the Gen Z. Listen to this. Gen Z, this is a concerning generation. It's called the first post-Christian generation. They are twice as likely to be atheists than that of millennials. Gen Z is driven to make money. They are likely to take multiple vacations throughout the year. They are ambitious and yet suffer with anxiety. They are avid gamers even in adulthood. They are social, but only through social networking. This generation is invested in perception and worried about acceptance more so than reality. They are more inclined to learn from peers than from predecessors. This crowd has very little or no church background. They are a spiritual blank slate and pride themselves on being open to any ideology and scorn narrow-mindedness. They are all about authenticity and not much about absolute authority. And the reason I bring that up is that is what we have, the building material for the future of the church if Christ does not come back. That is what we're dealing with. That is the character. That is the personality. That is the drive of the age group that we need, listen, to start manning bus routes and teaching classes and singing in the choir and filling our pews. Everybody all right? When former generations would live and die in one town, in one house, at one job, and probably one church, the current generation is in constant evolution and flux. The pursuit of finding myself is stronger than the ideal of being faithful. My grandfather lived and died, same company. And he loved that company. Loyal to it, bragged on it. I mean, he was dyed in the wool. That's not today. Today, we're not loyal to a company, we're not loyal to a city, not loyal much to a church. It is very normal to switch fields and it's done frequently and we do not put roots down very deep. Now, the reason I'm preaching this tonight is I want to get to the fact that this is going to impact our children. Yeah. It can be evidence. Now, watch this. Population researchers say this. There's a tendency among this generation to be more self-absorbed and less family-oriented than the previous generation. I could prove that to you by watching Nick at Night. Yeah. Go back and watch the old TV shows and then watch the modern ones. The old television shows that we wouldn't even recommend necessarily, but they center upon the home and the family and real life. Today, television shows are all fantasy or career or about the individual. 
Now you can see this. I traveled the country for, for, for over a decade, preached in a lot of independent Baptist churches, and I can testify and tell you I was the youngest person in almost every Baptist church that I preached in. I hardly ever preached for a pastor my age. I never sat in a pew with people my age. I never listened to special music sung by people my age. So there is a definite gap and hole in our American churches with people in my age bracket. I can prove this. It is evidence if you travel by the aging population of most of the workers in our churches. And I thank God for those workers, but it also concerns me. Across America, the norm is that the more aged members of a church run and fund the program, while the younger families are casual and avoid commitment. They say in America we're losing the middle class, but I'm afraid in Christianity we're losing the middle-aged. Something to note is the older people who are still frantically serving in churches that are bailing water to keep that ship from sinking are the children of a generation before them that fulfilled their task to train their children to set their hope in God. They broke up the soil, planted a seed, let the tree grow, and then their children sat under the shade of that tree. Secular polling says parents from our generation, my generation, largely raised their children in front of a screen while the former generation used the table. Instead of hands-on, our generation uses technology to be hands-off. The use of technology has and is creating an ever-shrinking attention span that stands in direct opposition to the model found in Nehemiah where they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. We have been conditioned to watch a two-hour movie and think that went fast and then get mad if a sermon runs over 20 minutes. We cannot meditate because we're so conducive to scrolling. Every, oh my, every post has to be short. Every soundbite has to be snappy. Every video has to be quick. And this conditioning makes my generation's ability to stay engaged in church almost impossible. Listen to the number. From 30 to 44 years old, only 25% of Americans attend church. That's why we see this performance revolution in our churches. It's a hybrid church model that tries to use media to make, the spirit, to make spiritual things more stimulating. Because we spend our life with something electric going before our eyes all day long. And now it's not enough just to open up the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to have something of external stimuli to keep us engaged. This generation gets its philosophy, its news, its counsel, and even its spiritual leadership from social media, whether it's qualified, factual, or not. It's true that something you read online often holds more weight than a Bible verse. And truth is more and more unpalatable to the contemporary palate. Our generation has free access to endless information, but what that does is it produces a fluid loyalty to a plurality of principles and values. And our final authority is called bigoted, and truth is situational. They say one reason why Gen Z does not attend churches, it is too exclusive, and it does not accept some of these things, these lifestyles that the Bible blatantly says are an abomination and sin against God. And the reason is, listen, they've been conditioned to think, well, everything is fluid, and everything thing is, is situational ethics. And so we're losing that crowd to this mindset. This generation is rather being true to itself than truthful. The previous generation, Christ would be a stumbling block. But to my generation, Christ has become foolishness. 
The love of country is xenophobic to our generation. Every nation and culture is as good as the next. Traditions and norms are negotiable. The pattern passed down and the values from our parents no longer go unchallenged. And it's rare to find a Lois to Eunice to Timothy sort of a pattern today. I thought about the previous generation, and I'm, this is a long, I'm heavy on introduction, but listen to me. The previous generation lived through the church growth movement. We are living through the church closing movement. The older generation did not live in an America where they drove by vacant church buildings and drove through Sunday morning through a town without hearing a bell ring somewhere in a steeple. But our, our generation and our children especially are driving through cities and riding through towns where churches have for sale signs in the yard. There's no sound of a church bell ringing. And some church, cities you don't even have a gospel representation in their city. This is the most disconnected, connected generation there has ever been. People are disconnected from in-person work. Over 25% of the full-time workforce now is working remotely. We are disconnected from our extended family. We, don't have, we used to have family reunion every year. I'm talking about we showed up and you could see them and touch them and, you know, uh, aunt whatever pinched your cheeks till they bled. I mean, in person. We don't do that anymore. You know why? We don't need to. We see each other every day on Facebook. But now we're missing it. We're disconnected. We're disconnected from in-person shopping. We don't even have to go to the grocery store. They'll bring it right to our front door. We're disconnected from church. But the dangerous and obvious result of this is, if we're that disconnected, how disconnected are our children going to be? Our children aren't going to even have the opportunity to ask what meaneth these stones because they're never going to see the stones to begin with. This trend is 100% against the Bible command and example. We've only made it to this point because the previous generation did not disconnect themselves, but they connected themselves to the next generation. God has made it known from generation to generation by word and deed. I imagine as weary fathers and faithful mothers made church a priority and the Bible the standard, and it wasn't that life was any easier for them, and it wasn't that they were less busy. It's just that God was more of a priority and they got themselves to the house of God. Churches were filled with families and buses were run by families and choirs were filled by families and altars were lined with families. Not today. I'm here on behalf of the next generation. I'm speaking to my generation, but I want to speak on behalf of the younger generation. It falls on you and I tonight to make sure the next generation has a chance at least to set their hope in God. There's a movement of deconstruction where folks my age are deconstructing their faith. But my fear is the younger generation won't even be able to construct a faith if we're not getting around the things of God. They need to see us love God. They need to hear you say amen. They need to watch you get on an altar. They need to see you study your Bible. They need to shadow you as you go soul winning. They need put in an atmosphere with spiritual depth. They're facing things and will face things that you and I never had to face. The furnace has been heated seven times hotter for their generation and they're living in a country that is post-Christian and openly perverted. America is not leaning left. It has leapt left. And it's not just in San Francisco. It is in every corner of America. When our young people salute the flag, they're in the minority. If they live a moral life, they will be the exception. If they try to live for God, they are going to be an oddity. And tonight, my fear is the church is lagging woefully behind in evangelizing. 
We are losing to the LGBTQ plus two whatever movement. They are far more faithful in evangelizing our children than we are. We are losing to socialists because they are far more active at evangelizing your children in this public school system than we are. We are losing to atheists because they are far more active than we are. We are losing to academic institutions because they are far more active and rabid about what they believe than we are. Contemporary culture is winning the race to convert our children. The world is excellent at apologetics and the average Christian knows nothing of how to express their faith to another generation. The legal system's against us. The educational system's against us. The social construct is against us. The mainstream narrative is against us. The arts narrative is against us. The entertainment narrative is against us. The rising athletic stars and political figures are against us. And they put so much money and so much time and so much effort into reaching your children and to winning your kids to their position. They will not enable them to set their hope in God. They will set their hope in something else. They're going to think God is some bigoted misogynist in the sky they're going to have some faith in government or faith in humanism and they're going to be miserable and fall and fail if they don't set their hope in God. We say there's going to be a shift in America. Neighbor, it has already shifted. America has already shifted morally, spiritually, and socially. We think wokeness is weird, but they know Christianity is weird. We talk about wokeness like it's a few people. Don't you understand that we don't live in a Christian nation? We live in a pagan nation that has a Christian foundation. And we're doing all we can to salvage what's left. But wokeness is not the fringe. Wokeness is the day. Don't you understand that? Whenever you and I, we got we to gotta have more than just saying, well, bless God, this. You better know what you believe. And why you believe it, when you go to Target and you see uh, all the, the perverted things there and the clothing sections and you go to that ball game and you feel like, well, there's just a few weirdos. No, you're the weirdo. Everybody all right? The average American today sees no need for church because they don't know church. We're not dealing with folks who've jumped around every church in town. We're dealing with folks who've never even been to church. They see no reason to go to church for any kind of moral advancement, no spiritual advancement. There's no hope for the next generation if we do not reach down to them. Think about it. If all the next generation knows about Christianity is that we lean right in our politics, we have failed. If all they know is, well, we're against gay marriage and we're against abortion and we're for this or that or the other, and they do not know Christ, we have failed. I'm concerned for the next generation. In a decade, I believe we'll have thousands of vacant church buildings if we don't get serious. We'll have hundreds of rusted out buses if parents don't get serious. Empty Christian schools if parents don't get serious. Christian colleges will have to close if parents don't get serious. Mission fields will have no witness if this generation, my generation, does not get serious. Cities will be without a pastor. Lost people will be without a soul winner. There'll be no hope because they will not know God. If we fail to pass light to the next generation, how dark will be their day? 
We can't afford to get disconnected here. The screen is not going to fix this for us. The social media guru is not going to fix this for us. The only answer is the next generation must be able to see God. I want my son to see God more than any other sight in this world. I'm not against going sightseeing and we do sightseeing, but can I say the most important thing for somebody to see in this life is to get a good glimpse of God by the eye of faith. I want him to see God through faith. I want him to see God tangibly in what God can do. I want him to see the fruit of faith in God. I want him to be a part of something where he doesn't have to just hear me talk about it and past tense tone, but I want him to experience God firsthand. Can I say, if that's going to happen, it's going to take more than you and I showing up and going through the motions and the routine of church Sunday and Wednesday and being dead and just amen and oh me and yawn through the service. No, we're going to have to get a hold of the horns of the altar and cry out to God and make God real to that generation. They're going to have to see you in your prayer closet and see you giving to God and see you sacrificing and see you living right and doing right and loving the Lord. It takes more than just telling them. They're going to have to see it. They need more than spiritual ideals and moral expectations. They need to know Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, from in the beginning God to Mount Calvary, they need to know God is real. Let me give you a few things to consider about this text and we'll close. Number one, you know the story, so we don't have to go through the whole passage. Abraham has been commanded by God to take his son and sacrifice him. But I want you to notice some things here. If you and I are going to impact the next generation, number one, you're going to have to be sensitive to God. Look at verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, watch what this. And he said, Behold, here am I. God spoke, and Abraham heard. If we're going to impact the next generation, we're going to have to be in tune to the voice of God. The choir sang the song that he still speaks, and we sing it and sing along with it. But you know, he really does. And it's a very important day for you and I that are parents and you and I that are leaders in, in, in this thing right now that we're sensitive to God. We can't afford to get out of God's will is what I'm saying. We can't afford to miss it. We can't afford to be hasty in our decisions. We can't afford to just go because it looks easier or it looks more uh, beneficial or whatever in the, in the immediate. We've got to be sensitive to the leading of God. I'm glad that he had a father when God spoke, he heard his voice. That's more important and that's more impressive than your book of, of contacts. Or who you've talked to this week on your phone. Or what kind of business deals you've made this year. Wouldn't it be something if your young person could say, well, daddy knows God and mama knows God. And I know they talk to God and God talks to them. You've got to be sensitive to God. Number two, be surrendered to God. Look at verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I'll tell thee of. And look what he says. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He did exactly what God told him to do. He knew it was going to cost him, and it hurt, and it was hard, but he was willing to sacrifice. At the end of this text, Isaac gets to see God do something he'd never seen God do before. But it starts with Abraham being sensitive and then Abraham sacrificing. It's expensive to live here. We talk about it too much maybe, but you know it is. But the expense of your housing is a lot cheaper than the expense of losing your family. The expense of the groceries is a lot less than the expense of wrecking your life. You say, well, I'm sacrificing. Yeah, you are sacrificing. You know what God does? He blesses sacrifice. 
And you know what? Every once in a while, it is a good thing to, for, for the younger generation to see that we have to pray bread in on the table. I think so. I think it's okay. Now, now we complain about it. I was going to be honest with you. I complain about it. I get nervous about it. It scares me half to death. But God always puts the bread on the table. Over and over, again and again, God's been faithful. And you say, but it's easier over there. I talked to somebody uh, 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 we, uh, uh, not just here recently. They want to move somewhere they've never even been before. They've never visited. They don't know anybody there, but it's cheaper. That's a dumb thing to do. Sacrifice. He was sensitive to God. Number three, let me give you a third thing. Be steady for God. Look, what he, look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and sat on his ass and took of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for, a burnt off, for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God told him. Now watch what it says in verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now think about it. If God came to you and said, I want you to sacrifice your child, the son that you love as a burnt offering, that's a hard decision to make. But it's even harder when you consider he had to deal with that for three days. They traveled for three days, Abraham knowing what he's going to do. But what I like about the text is it never says Abraham doubted or questioned or got bitter or got mad or angry and said, it's not fair, it's not right. God, why? He didn't do that. You know what he did? He just walked on by faith. Why? He did not want to make Isaac bitter and mad at God too. Oh my, how do you get him back to the next generation? By not complaining all the time about how God has done you wrong. I guarantee you this, God's not done you wrong. Anything outside of hell is more than you deserve, amen, and me as well. God's been too good to us to complain and pout. Oh, I'm getting mad about everything. Well, we don't get this, and we can't go there. And I, in that, my generation is like, it's like perpetual adolescent. It's crazy to me. We still, we're spoiled because our parents spoiled us, I think. Now, if somebody older than me preached this, I'd be ticked, but I'm going to preach it because I am one of us, okay? Think about it. It's true, though. Is it not true? We're never happy. We're never satisfied. We always want more. And we always think it's better if we go there. We get what we wanted and then find out, well, I didn't really think it's not what I thought it was, and now I want this. That is immature. But not only that, whenever we voice our opinion about how God got it wrong, they're listening. Amen. You want to make somebody bitter? And you want to make somebody who's going to be unfaithful and say, well, I don't want church. Well, I don't want to go to church. All those people are miserable who go. I, would, I want to go and be miserable with the rest of those old people there at the church. Just complain. Be steady for God. What I mean is don't cast shade on God. Don't doubt God. Don't cast shade on your Bible, your church. Be a good soldier. Be steadfast. Just endure hardness. Amen. Lead. And number four, watch this. Be sensitive to God. Be surrendered to God. Be steady for God. Number four, be sharpening, sharpening in God. And I'll explain it. Look at verse six. Look what he says. And Abraham took the wood and burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Now, it's interesting. He laid it upon Isaac. He's letting Isaac get involved in what they're doing. And Isaac's going to be more involved than he planned in a minute. But he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, both of them, and here's that word, together. And verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, and watched the word, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. It's interesting. God had Abraham and Isaac do this thing together. They're in this thing together. 
It's not just Abraham going up on the mountain. It is Abraham and Isaac together going up on the mountain. If we're going to help this generation set their hope in God, here's what we're going to have to do. Be willing to sharpen them in the things of God. You see what you're talking about? I mean, we're going to have to be willing to teach them about God. We're going to have to be willing to disciple them, if you will, train them, explain to them the Scripture, allow them to ask us questions and not be scared to answer them and then find out if I don't know the answer, then maybe I ought to study and figure out why I believe what I believe. Here's what they want. They want you to be real. And here's what I found out. It doesn't matter how loud I scream it, how long I preach it, or how firm I declare it. If I cannot explain it and prove it, they're not going to hear it. But if I'll take the time to go down with them and rub elbows with them and talk with them and love on them, I tell you, it does a whole lot more. That one week at teen camp or a few days at youth conference or going to youth hour or taking them out for, y'all ain't old enough to drink coffee, but coffee, if your parents don't find out, we'll drink coffee and do something like that. I mean, it means more than sitting through a five-hour sermon. We're sitting here in the service, and I'm and the Foley boys have graduated over there, so I, I caught you, though, anyway, tonight. But uh, every, every week while they're sitting down here, I'm, I'm having conversations with them with our eyes. I don't know what they're saying to me. I know what I'm trying to say to them. But they'll look back at me. Tonight, you, we did that. And then I just went like this because I didn't know what you were trying to tell me. But anyway, I, I want to interact with these guys. Why? If I just get up there and, and, and scream at them for 45 minutes, that's one thing. But when I take the time to come down there and actually talk to them and spend time with them, pray with them, that goes a whole lot further. But listen, you, don't, you say, well, I don't have a youth group. You have a young person in your house. You know, you could read the Bible with your family. Your son or your daughter, you could pray together before your meals. Amen. You know, if you have a child, you could take them soul winning with you. Bible distributing if it, or whatever it is. Uh, bus washing on Saturday with your young man. Men's prayer. You can bring your son to men's prayer. You can go to faithfulness rally together. I mean, there's a whole lot of things. If your family sings, you can sing together. But I'm talking about those kind of things matter for the next generation. Number one, be sensitive. Number two, be surrendered. Number three, be steady. Number four, be sharpening. And then lastly, just be satisfied with what God does. Look at verse number nine. Let's read the end of, uh, verse number 10 rather through the end of the text we read. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, saying, Thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. But I like what he says. And, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. You see what God did? He provided a blessing, a miracle for Abraham. And I like what it says. Abraham took it and said, I like that. We're going to use that. And he gives it the testimony it's going to be seen right here. Now, that has a few different meanings, but I like this primary meaning. Isaac got to see God provide for his father. And he got to see his father rejoice in the fact God provided. I'd say the conversation to the mountain, very somber, still, quiet. I'd say the conversation on the way back down the mountain was Isaac going, Woo! Hey, 
let me tell you what God did up on the mountain. I, I'd never seen it like that before. I'd heard Daddy talk about it. I'd heard him in his prayer closet. I'd watch him walk out there in the fields and on the plains, and he seemed to be happy in the Lord. But I tell you what I saw. I saw God do something for me. I saw God show up. I saw God step in. I, got, I saw God show off and show out. I saw God do what only God can do. He ran down and grabbed those two servants and said, hey, guess what? God's not just real for Daddy. God's been real for me. And then I can see him running home and getting his mother and saying, Mama, guess what? The God that's been good to Daddy and the God that's been good to you and the God that gave you a miracle just gave me a miracle of my own. And you read the Bible and find that Isaac walked with God like his daddy walked with God, but it's because his father obeyed and was faithful and obedient, just followed God and allowed him to see God work. I wish I could have, I wish I would have documented 15 years of traveling to quote unquote the best churches in America, which are pretty in need. And I wish you could look around those churches that have a great perception pub, out in the pub, but see the reality. And look around and see that in five years, ten years, that church is not going to exist. Yes, because everybody who has to keep the thing running only has about five to ten years to live if the Lord doesn't come back. Right. And my age bracket is missing. They will attend, and they might give, probably not going to tithe, but they will give sometimes. But can I tell you something? You and I might make it through, but our children are going to be in a mess. And I want to come to you on behalf of them. It's time for you and I to step up, be faithful, so that they might see God for their generation. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. I pray God will speak to your heart about that. Those statistics are kind of dry to use, but they're pretty staggering to think about. We are dealing with a country now that doesn't even know church, know God. And they are actively reaching in to our churches and our young people and evangelizing them if that's the word we want to use. We have got to do something. We have got to step up. We've got to meet that need. It starts at home. You've heard that said, a church is only as strong as the homes that make it up. Parents need to lead their children in the things of God. Starts with Sunday school teachers and Christian school teachers and those who have influence. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.